to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation, so we can grow in our relationship with God. This morning we're going to be in Ezekiel 37. And the last time the message was titled Closer Than You Think, we went into Ezekiel 38 and 39. Um, Again, almost everybody in the world, including unbelievers, at least a large majority, are familiar with the Battle of Armageddon. But this Ezekiel 38 and 39 mustering of nations, right, in this this great battle, which is sort of short-lived, but the buildup is pretty fantastic. I went into current events, I went into geopolitics, and it's literally closer than you think. Um, and I talked about the spark. I talked about the nations that were ready. I talked about the, the belligerents on both sides, sort of the new ally and Axis powers and how they're going to line up. But the spark, so amazing. I love it when I teach the Bible, and I can't take any credit because it's God's word. I'm not saying anything outside of what he's saying. Um, between last Sunday and this Sunday, I've been watching right? The news, what's going on. And the spark, I believe, and we can talk about this later if you want to, is the spark is going to be between Iran and Israel. You can see things heating up. Um, The Mossad or Israel's wing uh, sabotages Iran's nuclear ambitions. They would have had, I think, a nuke a while ago, but Israel keeps secretly sabotaging it because Iran's leadership is saying, when we get the nuke, we're going to blow you off the face of the map. So you can't blame Israel for saying, uh, yeah, we don't want that to happen. So that to me, right, read read the news, look at, forget about the cultural garbage in this country, look outside of our shores and you'll, you can see this buildup and you can see openly calling for war, right? Get Ezekiel 38 and 39. If you haven't, you can see everything line up, right? Today, the message is titled death to life, death to life. And that's important because God, well, we're going to look at Israel, we're going to look at the amazing things God did. And you can look at the Israelites crying out to God saying, wow, our, our position in, in life is terrible. In history is terrible where they were, you know, they lost in wars. They were expatriated. And God assures them that he's going to do a great work. Now we have, so we're talking about the 6th century BC. We have all of history to read to see that God, of course, kept all of his promises. But the Israelites at the time had to go on faith. So death to life, I would be remiss if I didn't speak about how he wants to take us who are body, mind, and spirit. He wants us to be born again of the spirit so that we could be with him in in heaven for eternity. And we're going to talk about how that works. And we're going to look at it in five parts. We're going to go one by one through those five parts. And, um, you know, we're going to check it out. So Ezekiel 37 in the Old Testament, Ezekiel 37, verses 1 through 6, says, The hand of the Lord came upon me. So Ezekiel is speaking. Right? He has this relationship with God. God's trying to show him things. He's trying to do illustrations and metaphors and symbols to get the Israelites to understand what his plan is going to be. Um, a lot of times you can prove the existence of God uh, through prophecy. God saying things beforehand that nobody could have possibly known. 
So the hand of the Lord came upon me and brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley, and it was full of bones. Then he caused me to pass by them all around, and behold, there were very many in an open valley, and indeed, there were very dry. He said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? So I answered, O Lord God, you know. And again, he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, surely I will cause breath to enter into you and you shall live. I will put sinews on you and bring flesh upon you, cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. So one out of five is the valley of dry bones. It's very unusual. We read it. It's interesting, but if you could imagine Ezekiel, you know, he had this, he was a prophet and God would come to him periodically and say, I need you to tell this to the people. And a lot of times he would use illustrations. So he's taken verse one in the spirit to this valley of dry bones. Is it literal or is it just a vision? We don't know, but what we do know is that really it's an abject tragedy because If there's, especially in that culture, right, culturally, it was very important that even in battle that those that had fallen were given a proper burial. The body was looked at it a certain way. And even in the person's death, you had to honor your death. And you see this in many cultures. You even see this in the, with the pharaohs and the, you know, all the the pyramids and the burial places, the tombs. So you got all these bones in this valley. And again, was this, if it was literal, was it a tragedy? Was it a battle where one side completely dominated the other? And they, you know, in in these battles, there was a visceral hatred of the other side and they just left them scattered in the open field as a, as a lesson to everybody else. Don't mess with us. We're not really sure, but we do know the Bible makes it clear is that the bones were dry Why is that important? Well, probably because they've been there for a while. And to make matters worse, when you don't bury a body, the animals come, the birds, the animals, and they scavenge the meat off of the bones, which is horrific for a relative to know that that happened to their loved ones. So this is, is a very negative scene that Ezekiel is being shown, but there's a point to all this. Now, I just can't help myself in verse 3, and you've seen this in the Bible before, where the Lord asks, God asks his servant, and he says, you know, can, can these things happen, right? He said, can these bones live? <laughs> and you can almost see Ezekiel, and I might think the same thing. Is this a trick question? Uh, so he goes, oh, Lord, you know, that's a great answer. That's a great answer because you have a 50-50 chance of getting it wrong. So if you say, oh, Lord, you know, (laughs) you know something's coming. You know that God is looking to say something to you. And I think it's, there's a good application to never look at God and say, it can't be done. Now, with mankind, with men and women, there's things that are impossible. But with God, all things are possible. So I never underestimate the Lord. And I never in my own personal life think, well, there's no solution to this problem because he's God. He can make any solution happen. In verse 10, says, so I prophesied as I was commanded, right? He's obedient. He's obedient. Listen, we all have a commission 
in life. If we're uh, believers born again of the spirit, you know, we all have spiritual gifts and, you know, God will task us to do things. And you might think that they're small, but you might find out in eternity that that one little thing turned out to be in God's eyes, something very, very larger that we don't always see on this side of eternity. So he says, I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a noise and subtly a rattling and the bones came together bone to bone. Could you imagine seeing that? Indeed, as I looked, the sinews and the flesh came upon them, and the skin covered them over, but there was no breath in them. So he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath, literally translated the breath of life, we're going to come back to that, came into them and they lived. And stood upon their feet an exceedingly great army. Wow. So too is the bones become an army. And Ezekiel's looking at the bones. He's looking at the, you know, the connective tissue. He's looking at the musculature. And he's probably blown away. And you wonder why Ezekiel served God for a very long time. As long as God needed him. Because he knew nobody else could do stuff like this. He knew who God was. So no doubt the blood vessels, right? The skin comes upon them. And, um, you know, I, I said something last Sunday and I didn't realize that, that I was going to be teaching this in this depth, but I was d- doing some research. And, you know, when I was in college, like I said, I still have my biology book from 30 years. Of course, they don't use it anymore uh, because science changes. See, God knows the finite number amount of information that's possibly known and it's up to us to figure it out as we go along that's why our science books change and people say you know i i have the market cornered on science yeah until they discover something different and you're you don't and you have to realize that but when you look at the soil right we know what god did in genesis 2 7 i love this scripture it says the lord god formed man from the dust of the ground from the soil and he breathed so he puts adam together too and he breathes into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living being or a living soul very important so i go back and and i'm I love science, I love biology and chemistry, and they really kind of interact, physics, they all kind of interact with each other. And I'm, I'm looking at the soil, and in the soil are elements from the periodic table, right? The periodic table, pretty neat stuff. Um, those elements come together, right? Or they're in, they, they come together as, as molecules, and the molecules, as it gets larger, become compounds, And you find all of these things in the soil, some in their primitive form and some in their more complex forms, right? Now, somewhere between compounds and cells, something really kind of uh, miraculous happens that there's actually life. So what are cells? You break down the human cell and you find out it's made of compounds. You find that there's atoms in there. And cells, right, become enough cells to come together. They're organs. Organs come together and they're organisms. But then the organism, the animal, the person dies, they get decomposed back into the soil. Thus is the, the ecosystem. But God does something amazing in, in Genesis is he interrupts the ecosystem to put compounds and molecules, atoms, cell, you know, he puts all this stuff together. And then it says that he 
breathed the breath of life and man became a living being or a living soul. Now in Revelation 11, we see this again. We see these two witnesses, right, in in our future that come upon the earth and they uh, eventually are murdered and God breathes the breath of life in them and they, they stand back up again. So there is definitely a point where, you know, you have the material like in Ezekiel to make a living being, right? Remember the, the old story about Frankenstein? You know, he puts a bunch of stuff together. Of course, no one's been able to do that. And Frankenstein was kind of pretty ugly and, and you know, messed up and he walked funny. But, uh, but God does it perfectly. <laughs> and you see some of these biblical concepts that culturally people try to reproduce and, you know, it's just, it's always wanting. So in John 6, 63, Jesus said that the, the flesh profits nothing, but the spirit gives life. Now, it's a little in depth. The word for breath, wind, or spirit, if you go back into the Hebrew, I'm better with Greek than I am with Hebrew, but I did some study and the word is ruach. Ruach, got to get a there. So ruach contextually can be translated breath, wind, or spirit. Let me read verse 9 again to you because the word is used multiple times. Then he said to me, prophesy, I would say to the spirit, prophesy son of man and say to the spirit, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O spirit, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So there's wind, there's breath, but then there's something different about God's spirit because it's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The spirit apparently has charge. God the Son has, you know, he came to save us from our sins. God the Father, uh, you see him very prominent in the Old Testament. They all work together. God the Holy Spirit does some very fascinating things. And one of them is this, this he, how do I explain it? I don't know. He imparts this life to things that are of the earth, but don't necessarily have life to have consciousness and to, to move on their own and to sustain themselves. So it's uh, it's pretty neat thing. And the spirit is what connects us to God. You know, even as a kid and uh, I was in grade school and the grade school was great. They did teach a lot of science. I really got a good education. Then I went to co- good college, got a really good education there. But even as a child, I was reading and listening to the teacher talk about evolution and how somehow non-life comes together by accident, by chance, you know, uh, and it creates, life is eventually created. And I used to scratch my head as a kid thinking, how does that happen? You know, and I, I think of, you know, this is, I remember this in grade school, I was thinking, I'm, so I'm made of elements. I know there's um, oxygen, I know there's nitrogen and the sulfur in here in my body and I'm looking at the periodic table, but, but I'm alive. I can think. And I, even as a kid, I wondered, where is that, that line between non-life and life? Because it's the same compounds. It's the same elements. But the Lord answers those questions for us. You could take all the non-living pieces together and put them together and you'll never create life. Even the Milliuri experiments in the 1950 couldn't do that. The, the, the whole spark and the, it created carboxylic acid, which is detrimental to life, and it never produced life, right? It produced some things, but it, it could never live no matter how many millions of times you did that spark. So life does not arise from non-life. Um, only God can do that, right? There was even a song uh, about 
this, this uh, picture in Ezekiel 37. As kids, you would sing it, right? The hip bone is connected to the thigh bone, the thigh bone. Pastor Paul, can I be on the worship team? He's probably shaking his head, no way. But, you know, but this is kind of neat, right? Because it was based on Ezekiel 37. All right, no more singing. Let's move on. Verse 11. Then he, God says to Ezekiel, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Now, so this was done to illustrate a spiritual truth. Okay. They indeed say our bones are dry. Our hope is lost and we ourselves are cut off. Remember the Israelites were conquered by the Babylonians. They were forced many tens of thousands of them northeast into this Babylonian empire. They were made POWs. They were made slaves and the Israelites, you know, um, and this is a historical fact. Uh, Jerusalem was in ruins. Right? Again, I got all that confirmed by the Science Channel a few days ago. But it's something that I knew because I studied archaeology and history, right? So the Israelites were like, how can our lives get any better? We're over a thousand miles from home, and even those that are still at home, the wall is busted up, and you needed those walls in uh, those old city states. Uh, to protect yourself from marauders. And the wall didn't even work, but now there's no wall. There's no temple. It's in ruins. The Babylonians were cruel. And the Israelites were wondering, how is our life going to get any better? So Israel, uh, Ezekiel's here to express to them, based on what he saw and what God showed him, how this would happen. And we know historically that God's promises actually came to pass through the Medo-Persian Empire, Right. So therefore prophesy, verse 12, and say to them, thus says the Lord God, behold, O my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come up from your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. When I have opened your graves, O my people, and brought you up from your graves, I will put my spirit in you and you shall live and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken it and performed it, says the Lord. So God, a lot of times, proves who he is through prophecy. And he says to his people through the prophets, you're going to think this is totally outlandish. You're going to think this is totally impossible. But like him taking a valley of dry bones and making an army out of it and bringing them to life, um, he also spoke about opening graves. And the people back then and today know that people don't rise from the dead. But there were times in the Old Testament when that did happen. There were times that in Jesus's day that he did raise the dead. And this was a a hallmark of knowing that God is part of this because it doesn't go that way. It goes from, you know, baby youth and, and vibrancy to, you know, agedness and then eventually death. It doesn't go the other way, especially when the body starts to decompose. Uh, so God was saying to them, no, it's going to happen and you're not going to believe it. But when it does happen, you're going to know that it was me who said these things. So in three out of five is the bones symbolize Israel's regathering, right? Uh, Now, the Israelites got there because of war, but most importantly, the consequences of their own sinful behavior. And I wrote that down and I thought to myself, yeah, we live in a culture today where when something goes wrong, we're always looking to blame somebody. Our parents, our teachers, the police, you know, our pastor, God, it's just... This is the culture that we've become. We don't take personal responsibility. However, the Israelites got to a place where they realized, you know what, we, this was self-caused. 
And I got to tell you, even in my own life, there's, uh, there's an epiphany, there's, there's, there's healing. When you can look at your own situation and say, what did I do to cause this? And when the Lord delivers me, how can I not repeat the same mistakes? A lot of really neat stuff in the scripture. Okay. There is an expression or a phrase, and it's a very short one, and it says, but God. And we see that all throughout the scripture, but God. And that, I, I will tell you, is the most powerful phrase in all of scripture. Yes, this is my situation, but God. You know, I trust you, Lord. I have faith in you. Um, I'm just, I need a way out of this because I know that I can't physically do that. And a lot of times when we, when we realize that we have to look up to the Lord and say, um, I can't do this. This is impossible for me. Then we start to see things change, right? And we see this throughout scripture and even in our own lives. We look at these metaphors of God restoring depressing situations. So one of them is, and I've quoted this to you in the book of Joel, that God will restore the years the locusts have eaten. Very powerful. There's another phrase that God will give us beauty for ashes. Ashes is a picture of something burned to the point where it was destroyed, and God gives us beauty for those ashes, right? He's that type of God. Or a wasteland of human bones brought back to life, which we just read, or verses 12 through 13, uh, people coming up out of graves. You know, there's something, every once in a while when you read the scripture, you come across something and go, that, that was interesting, but I want more, and, and God just kind of gives you a verse, and then we move on to the next subject. In the Gospel of Matthew, when Jesus was raised from the dead, there were also others that were raised from the dead. If you remember Matthew's Gospel, that the departed saints, some of them had come up and appeared to many in Jerusalem. One verse, very powerful though. You know, it's very interesting to look at. But I would say this, that God can bring life to any situation, including yours. Including yours. You came in here this morning, you think, well, I'm just going gonna, gonna to listen to the sermon. But understand that God wants to apply his truths to your lives. So whatever you're struggling with, God can breathe life into your situation as well. Verse 14, God said, I will put my spirit in you. Now, you have to understand the layers here when you look at prophecy. And it took me a while to get the hang of it. It's a little bit of a learning curve. But, you know... In prophecy, God speaks about a lot of things. He's speaking about the 6th century BC, what's going on, right? He's speaking about the next empire, the Medo-Persians who come up and deliver the Israelites out of Babylon. This is historical fact. This never happens really in history. They go back to Jerusalem, they build the wall, and they rebuild their city. So this is a fact. God used the Medo-Persians to have favor upon the Israelites, and they did literally um, come back to life in a sense as far as their nation. So what God also talks about is things that couldn't have happened until 1948 when Israel became a nation. Um, The ability to not be expatriated anymore, to not be conquered. Even in the 20th century, we've seen a lot of attacks on Israel, right? And we've seen Israel prevail. So 6th century B.C., 5th century BC, 1948, and then he speaks about this later time of this tribulation period. At the end of it, God establishes his millennial kingdom, and um, Israel, you see that final layer of, of bringing death to life, right? I would just say this. It's tragic if we don't read this 
And we don't see the fact that God wants us to be born again of the Spirit. So here we're talking about a nation. We're talking about, it's so cool, deliverance, revival, really neat stuff. But if you're here and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, God wants to bring you from death to life. He wants to revive you, right? I'll just tell you that as, um, as a police officer, I was on patrol for 25 years, and I often did CPR, right? The breaths, the, the, the chest pumping. Then when we were able to use Narcan, somebody overdosed, you do the squirt in the nose, and it's pretty an amazing thing. I never knew, I never knew whether I was going to bring somebody back or not, because you know what? That was up to the Lord, right? It's an amazing thing. And who can figure it out? Yeah, the, the heart is, is pumping some blood and you're, you're putting oxygen in there and getting the circulatory system going. Sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. I'll tell you this, that police officer, doctor, nurse, if somebody is, is gone for four days, there's already a decomposition process. They're not bringing anybody back. It's never happened. However, Jesus did that with Lazarus. Waited four days on purpose because folklore said religious, and again, it wasn't really true, but this is the belief at the time, that the spirit would hover around the body for three days. Now, this isn't biblical. It's just what the people believed at the time. And then after three days, there was no hope. Spirit departs completely. So what Jesus did is he waited four days, right? And even the sister said, Lord, at this time, there's a stench. But we, we all know the decomposition process. Her brother is in there for four days. It's in a closed environment. When you open that, move that stone, people are going to get knocked over. Um, so Jesus said, roll the stone away. Bunch of guys, roll that stone away. Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus came forth. Grave clothes and everything. He put them back together. It's pretty powerful stuff, isn't it? There is something about when we look at this is that so here's, here's something. You can bring somebody back or somebody can be brought back, but they could be biologically alive, have a spirit, but be dead spiritually. That's the, the craziest part of all this. You know, I, a friend of mine, is a, he has a doctorate in theology, and we have a lot of really deep discussions. Um, it's very interesting. And the truth is that, that God created the spirit, and it's really the body and the mind that houses the spirit to go through this world. See, people in the world have it backwards. We think it's, it's all about the looks, right? Today, I, I did brush my teeth. I did shave. I did comb my hair. I want to look presentable. I, most, for the most part, the shirt doesn't have a lot of wrinkles. I try to match when I came here. We, we do, don't we focus a lot on the outward appearance? But the truth is what's most important is what's inside, And you know what? We have a culture that's so obsessed with outward appearances and they don't get, take the time to listen to somebody or get to know them to see what's actually inside. We all look different. We all have different skin color. We all have different heights and weights and eye color. Who cares? What's most important is what's inside because God makes the spirit of a man or a woman and they're housed with the body. It was so important for Adam that God breathed I bet Adam is the first man, probably looked really good. He's probably genetically superior, but he was nothing until God breathed the breath of life into him and he was alive. Pretty amazing stuff, isn't it? 
We have it backwards in our culture. So it's one thing to, to be body, mind, and spirit, but we have to be revived, our spirit, even though it's there, to, to be born again of the spirit. And that's why Jesus says that in John chapter 3. You can't see the kingdom of heaven, he says, until you are born again of the spirit. And we find that through Jesus Christ. Amen? You know, I, I, I have to laugh when I see something on TV and I'm like, I, I'd like to call that guy and have a nice discussion. But they're like, they talk about Christianity like it's a fairy tale. Are you kidding me? When you start to get into the depth of this, this is very intense. We talk about all kinds of sciences and, and, and layers and, and complexities in the scripture that people have no idea about. So um, I, I like just talking to people and, you know, trying to just win them over to, to what God says about them in their lives. I'll just say this as well, because some in the Christian culture, and we see this in some of these internet ministries or these big, the guy just tries to pack as many people into the stadium, you know, they're very shallow. They don't talk about things that are deep, which is very sad. And it, it causes Christians who go to these types of places when they are challenged by a scientist or an atheist to really not know anything. And they can't really hold their own or at least have a, a good, honest debate with that person and try to win them to, to being saved, right? So the Christian culture, and, and this includes good people, solid people, and everyone else can be very shallow. Now, if you're a believer in God and you really have a strong faith in him, you hopefully are not shallow. But part of the Christian culture is. In Revelation 3, Jesus addressed a church, a church. A thriving church in, was it the, the first, yeah, the first century. It was the church of Sardis. And he said to that church, although you do works and although you have an appearance of life, don't be fooled. Don't be fooled by all the, the light shows and the smoke and the, the pizzazz and the thing and, you know, the things that excite you in a church. I mean, what are we trying to pretend that we're Hollywood or something? He said, even though you have an appearance that you have life, you know what Jesus told that church? He said, you're dead. Imagine Jesus, the one who died for our sins, telling our church, you guys are dead. What's wrong with you? You know, you have the outward appearance, but inside you're, you're just, you're shallow. This, this, you, it's a cultural thing or your parents went to that church. So you, you don't really have a relationship with the Lord. That's very powerful, very powerful. It's the dead Christian culture of today also needs the spirit of God, not just the Israelites, but you know how, it, how easy it is to get saved is to trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and savior. You can, you could do it today before the service is over. You just vocalize that. Lord Jesus, I, I'm, I'm, I'm convinced. Your word, the Bible says that God's word, when you read it, is regenerative. You actually, if you're a skeptic here this morning, as you read the word inside, you're having a conflict. Because what that means is your old deadness is trying to stay dead. But God is trying to work through you through the word and his spirit. So you almost have this, you ever argue with yourself about something? Come on. It's not just me who does that. 
I mean, I don't argue about the things of God, but I argue about other stuff. Uh, but there are, when, when the, the day that I went up to receive Christ many years ago, uh, the pastor was speaking, and I was even, part of me was getting irritated with what he said, because he was causing an internal turmoil inside. I wanted to stay in my old, old dead self, not realizing I was my old dead self. But there was a part of me where he was trying to say things, and, and I'm reading the scripture, and I'm like, I don't know what's going on inside of me, but now... I'm, I'm not just the way I was an hour ago. I'm, I'm starting to have a turmoil inside. It's pretty wild stuff. So don't, don't resist it. Give your, give your life to Christ. Very simple. Verse 15. He says, again, the word of the Lord came to me saying, as for you, son of man, Ezekiel, the prophet, take a stick for yourself and write on it for Judah and for the children of Israel, his companions. Then take another stick and write on it for Joseph, the stick of Ephraim, and for all the house of Israel, his companions. Then join them one to another for yourself into one stick, and they will become one in your hand. And when the children of your people speak to you, saying, will you not show us what you mean by these? Say to them, thus says the Lord God, surely I will take the stick of Joseph which is in the hand of Ephraim and the tribes of Israel, his companions, I will join them with it, with the stick of Judah and make them one stick and they will be one in my hand. And the sticks on which you write will be in your hand before their eyes. Then say to them, thus says the Lord God, surely I will take the children of Israel from among the nations, wherever they have gone and will gather them from every side and bring them into their own land. And I will make them one nation in the land on the mounds of Israel and one king shall be king over them or one leader or one ruler. But they shall be or they shall no longer be two nations nor they shall ever be divided into two kingdoms again. The history tells us this. They shall not defile themselves anymore with idols nor with their detestable things nor with any of their transgressions but I will deliver them from all their dwelling places in which they have sinned and will cleanse them. Then they shall be my people and I will be their God. So four out of five is the stick illustration for those of you for Israel to become one. For those of you that are like Judah, Ephraim, what what is all this? Again, because if you're familiar with 2021, 2020, the 20th century, right? The 21st century, you know, let's say you don't know the history of Israel. You're like, well, Israel's Israel. It's what's this tribe stuff and Joseph, because back in the day in the sixth century BC, Judah was part of the Southern kingdom. So that whole large area of the Southern kingdom where Jerusalem was, was really two tribes. I think Benjamin was part of it. And there was another one that was kind of contiguous to it. And in the north, right, was Ephraim, or the largest tribe, or the ten, with Joseph being the father of Ephraim and Manasseh. So that's what those names mean. So Israel, since the death of Solomon, the king, many years ago, was forever understood, or they understood forever, as a divided kingdom. That brother was fighting with brother. That the south and the north, sort of like the civil war, but it never really ended. Okay? And everybody understood that for what it was. So for Ezekiel to say, it's going to be one, people were like, again, not possible. But again, with God, all things are possible, right? In 1948, this took place. Now, did, I don't know, did Ezekiel do a magic trick? Did he get two sticks and go, now you see two, and there's one? I don't know what he did. I don't know, was it a miracle? But 
I think what's more important is the message of unification here. And today, we and Israelites are usually not familiar with, because it's totally different now, we're not familiar with a divided Israel. We're not familiar with strange idol-worshiping practices in, in the nation of Israel, right? doesn't mean they don't sin. And we're also not familiar with two presidents in Israel. We're familiar with one. So everything that God said came to pass. Now, some of the more amazing things where they have a spiritual revival has to come later. Has to come later. So let's look at the, la- the layers of Israel's restoration to under- understand better. Number one, or A, back from Babylon under, under Medo-Persia. So God is saying things are going to get better. Right? Sixth century BC, we're under the yoke of Babylon. This stinks. We're a thousand miles from home. Home is in ruins. So what God does is the Medo-Persians come conquered the Babylonians and it's very cool because I'm watching the science channel and even under the walls the walls were very tall and they were built into the Euphrates and they even put bars on the gates so that an invading army couldn't go in from the sea well when Babylon when they were having this big drunken everybody was drunk big drunken party we see this in the book of Daniel the Medo-Persians come in they partially divert the Euphrates River, which you can do that. It's possible. You have to have a lot of patience and tenacity. The river starts to, to abate, starts to come down, and the, the attacking soldiers go under. They found a breach in one of the, uh, the metal bars, right? They go under the city, and they attack the military and the, the, the presidential personnel because they're all drunk, these soldiers come in, they got shields, they got, you know, weapons. And Babylon was impenetrable. But the Medo-Persians figured out a way to do it. God knew that ahead of time. And everyone said, there's no, you see the size of these walls? In, well, Babylon is Iraq now, right? Um, you can see pictures. Look it up when you go home. After thousands of years, it's still impressive. The walls are still there. The, the layers of walls, you know, the buildings... It's just powerful. So I just love, I've, I don't think I really cared much about archaeology. I'm sorry if you love it. Um, when I became a Christian, I started studying the Bible. I'm like, oh my goodness, everything I study, archaeology has to be a part of it for me to prove that the things of God are true. And most of the archaeologists, some of them are Christians, most of them are not. But they're proving the Bible every day when they put a shovel into the ground. Pretty amazing stuff. If you're not a believer or you're a skeptic, I'm more than happy to talk to you about some famous uh, discoveries that were made that prove what the Bible says is true. So let's look at the layers. A, back from Babylon, because Medo-Persia finds favor upon them, sends the Jewish people back in a good way to rebuild Jerusalem, and even the gate, even the gate. But not much change in their spiritual health. Fast forward to 1948. B, right? Israel becomes one, which is a, a... you know, a fulfillment of this prophecy. Again, you don't see the strange uh, mountaintop idol worship practices and some of the weird things they did in the 6th century BC. God said a lot of that stuff would go away. Fast forward, now, when God does prophecy, who are we in 2021? He speaks about things that are over our head. He goes from 6th century BC to 1948, starts talking about things that happened after 2021, and that's where the rest of it comes in. See, the nation turns to the Messiah when they see his return, right? And there's a huge spiritual revival which hasn't come to pass yet. So it kind of reminds me of A, B, and C 
clear, a little clearer, now it's really clear. Sort of like when I go once a year to the optometrist, right? Everything's fuzzy. Can you read Z, one, two, no. And then they go, they click something and like, clear? I'm like, yeah, clear. They click it again. It's like, wow, that's like super. I love going to the optometrist, you know. How are my glasses doing? How bad are my eyes? Give me another a set that uh, I can actually read when I'm up at the pulpit. Uh, so this is sort of like going to the optometrist spiritually, where it just, you see these layers of clarity that every few hundred or thousand years, things become even more clear in God's prophecy. Because why? Now we're looking back. There's, a, there's a, still a few that are that are post-2021, but a lot of it has been fulfilled. Pretty interesting. Last few verses, 24, he says, God says, David, my servant. Wait a minute. David's dead at this point. We're going to get back to that. David, my servant, shall be king over them, and they shall walk. They shall all have one shepherd. They shall also walk in my judgments and observe my statutes and do them. Then they shall dwell in the land that I have given to Jacob, my servant, where your fathers dwell. And they shall dwell there, they, their children, their children's children forever. And my servant David shall be their prince forever. Forever is a very strong word. Moreover, I will make a covenant of peace with them, and it shall be an everlasting covenant with them. I will establish them and multiply them. I will set my sanctuary in the midst forever. I'm going to get to that. (laughs) People have a lot of discussions about that. My tabernacle also shall be with them. Indeed, I will be their God and they shall be my people. Sounds like Revelation 21. The nations also will know that I, the Lord, sanctify Israel when my sanctuary is in their midst forever. Okay. Five. Prophecies fulfilled in the millennial kingdom, which is this thousand-year reign, which is future to 2021, if you're new to the Bible. So this final fulfillment in the millennial kingdom, right? In God's word, we see David in a future time ruling when David was the king. He had died. He was buried. They knew where his tomb was, right? We also see other places where the Messiah, messianic references to ruling in the millennial kingdom. Understand this, that God is the God of resurrection. In 1 Thessalonians 4, we see a future time, at least to today's date, where the Lord will call his saints home. And it says that, you know, the souls, the spirits, and the bodies will be reunited, but the bodies will be perfected, will be perfected. And again, people take these biblical concepts because the Bible came first, and they twist them into almost a dark cultural understanding. So for years, when I was a kid, everything was vampires, the undead. You know, they they live forever. They bite you, and then, you know, you live forever. Like, it's sort of a macabre picture of the truth of the resurrection. Today, what is everybody into? What movies? What shows? The zombies. Oh my goodness, it's on every commercial on TV. So a lot of people must be, how weird, you know, it's, and they make them more gory each time. Person comes back from the dead, right? Well, in the Lord's resurrection, which came first, before all these cultural weirdness, is that, and again, the fountain of youth, and I'm really dating myself, the picture of Dorian Gray, right? All these fountains of youth, and even now, scientists are, if they don't have God, they, they're trying to tweak the human genome, they're trying to do, use nanotechnology. You look up nanotechnology. It's pretty wild stuff. To stop us from aging. To live forever. 
You can try all you want. If this is your life's mission, God's not going to let it happen. When God is ready to resurrect his saints, they will get new bodies that don't wear out. Thank God. I've had enough surgeries. And um, we will live forever. Pretty neat stuff, right? God is the God of the resurrection. Jesus said, they'll take, I give my life willingly, right? They don't take it from me. And I will, he said, he will bring himself back to life. And he did. Otherwise, there would be no Christianity because it was too much of a fledgling uh, poor followers to, to get any traction. There were so many messianic cults back in the first century that never get, got anywhere. There's no churches that have the Thutis cult or the, the, all these different people. The um, Bar Kokhba at 123 AD, big movement. Romans squashed them like he squashed the Christians. There's no church of Bar Kokhba anywhere, but you can find them in the history book. So when the, when the shepherd was struck, the sheep scattered, and they never became anything. The only reason why there's a Christianity, which is such a large uh, contingent of people, is because of the resurrection. Otherwise, there would be no Christianity. They would have went the way of all these other things. So, you know, it's, I can go into Roman history and all that jazz, but you get the point. Where was I? Uh, so I got my notes to keep me grounded here because I'll just, I love this stuff. All right. So the way I look at it is, and, you, and again, you see this, you see David spoken of because David will be resurrected, right? His soul, the spirit is with the Lord, but he will be, his soul and his, his body and his spirit will all come together and he will actually be a regent. He will rule in Jerusalem in this millennial kingdom. Now, I look at this as, because they're both spoken of, as a co-regency. Or sort of like our president-vice president structure where the Lord Christ is at the top and David is part of his uh, presidential cabinet, his administration. Amen? So it's very simple. Um, David is, is constantly spoken of about eventually in the Old Testament and, New, and pretty much New Testament is in this millennial kingdom, David will be ruling. However, he'll be ruling under Christ because Christ said he was going to come back. Pretty powerful stuff. Verse 26 and 27, God speaks now about his sanctuary or his tabernacle. Some see the temple here. However, God's presence is greater than the building. Remember in the Old Testament, there would be this structure, whether it was the tabernacle, which was a, uh, a temporary structure, and then when they actually got into Jerusalem, they, it was a permanent place. They actually built a foundation. There was stone, timbers, etc. So the temple was the um, firm or unmoving structure version of the tabernacle because the tab- tabernacle was through the wind- wilderness wanderings, etc. But what do we know? We know that the temple, right, when it was there, wasn't anything impressive if the Shekinah glory, if God's glory was not in there. And there were times that the people did so many abominations that they actually were able to see God's glory leave the temple. And what, did it, what was left? A building. Same thing with the church. People think, again, I watched a lot of movies before, you know, many years ago. These horror shows and somebody had to get to the church. Sanctuary. And if you got to the church and they were chasing you, you were safe. But the church is just a building, right? If if people aren't in it, if the Holy Spirit is not a part of it, if we're not speaking about Jesus and glorifying him, then when everybody leaves, it's just a building. So the way I look at the temple, right, is the temple was only great when God's presence was in it. What does the Bible tell us as believers today? 
that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. God has sealed us with his Holy Spirit. So a lot of neat stuff here, definitely. Let me just read to you a few verses in Revelation and then we'll close. In Revelation 21, you see the new heaven and the new earth created because the one presently has been marred by sin and destruction and the evil of mankind. But he says this in verse 21, verse 1. It's under new heaven and earth are created. And I saw a new heaven. This is the Apostle John speaking. And a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also, there was no more sea. And we covered that when we spoke about uh, Revelation, when we covered that. Verse 2. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Again, this is a future from 2020 occurrence. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with people, and he will dwell, he will live with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. And I talked about the layers of closeness as it gets closer to the Lord returning, right? And we we see God as almost distant, even though we pray and we we feel his presence. um, He's still, he's just not tangible, right? This changes. Verse 4, and God will wipe away, this is a physical act, every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying, storms that kill people, no cancer, no death, um, wars, all that kind of stuff. It's all gone. And there shall be no more pain for the former things have passed away. And I submit to you that also includes emotional pain, PTSD, stuff, baggage that we carry from our past. It's all gone. He extricates that. Verse 5, then he who sat on the throne said, behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, right, for these words are true and faithful. Now, I'm going to talk about this the next time we come together because there's this Ezekiel's temple in the last several verses. A lot of my Bible students are wondering how I'm going to tackle that, but you'll see. Uh, But the sermon title is this, Death to Life. Whether we're talking about dry bones or people coming out of graves or 1 Thessalonians 4, where the rapture takes place, God can bring life from death. He's the God of resurrection. We see it both in the uh, Old Testament and the New Testament. Yeah, he was using a lot of symbols for the people at the time to understand Israel's future. But don't miss the spiritual aspect of this. Don't miss the death, the death to life that he wants to do. Don't miss the message in the Old Testament and the New Testament that we must have a spiritual regeneration in order to be saved. We must have a spiritual regeneration in order to be saved. We must be born again of the Spirit. Jesus said that, to see the kingdom of heaven. And again, it doesn't mean we call our church a born-again church. That, that term has been abused. Go back to what Jesus says and in the purity of what he's saying. Forget about what happens today. Listen to Jesus' words because they take precedence over any ministry, over any pastor, over any denomination. That's the purity that we try to follow. That, my friends, is the ultimate and most important death-to-life experience because it determines where we will spend eternity. Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfields. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. 
You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to www.cccrossfields.org, where you can also watch or listen to previous messages. If you have any questions or have a prayer request, please email us at contact at cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless.